Yes, hello, folks. Welcome to a special episode of Beyond the Pitch. Everyone's always for Brown. And I am ecstatically joined here with Damo Maka. Uh, Damo, of course, for anyone knows Killian, who is wrestler, professional wrestler, previous WWE, uh, works for a number of different people along the wrestling circuit. Uh, you can find Damo. Uh, what's your Twitter ID? At Big Demo. At Demo Mackle uh, across Twitter and Instagram. At Demo Mackle. Uh, go ahead and give this lot a follow. Big, massive, much. He's native fun. You were on SmackDown too at one point, weren't you? <laughs> I was indeed, yeah. I actually was wearing a pair of United socks in one of my debuts. So. <laughs> that is absolutely class. And so you were involved. Uh, tell me a wee bit about you, Demo, your wrestling career and all that there. So I started in 2004. I had to move over from uh, from Ireland to, to Scotland because there was no real schools at the time. Um, and I, I went from there to England, to all across Europe, and then eventually to America and, and everywhere in between. Um, and uh, I, by, after about 11, 12 years of, of wrestling, like as part-time, then full-time, um, I then got picked up by WWE in, in 2015, and I started there in 2016. It was uh, it was a really crazy few years between 13, 15, 14, 15, 16, just like the, the British scene just boomed, European scene boomed, and then, you know, we were all over the place, all of us, and then there I was <laughs> talking to multiple different companies all at the same time, and I end up in WWE, and I had a crazy five years, <laughs> but uh, I got to... Uh, it was uh, it was something else. I, I my my first six months were it was weird. You know they kind of the first six months they're very weird with Europeans when they first come in. Like they believe that Europeans don't know how to wrestle, which mm. is hilarious because you know we invented it. Um, but like <laughs> they they were funny with us at first, and then suddenly like within six months I'm on WrestleMania, which is even more bizarre because I'm, I'm uh, two days before WrestleMania they've said okay you're going to be on WrestleMania, <laughs> uh, and then uh, yeah it all changed around from then and like you know suddenly they're they're trusting what i was doing and like they they believed in, in what i was trying to present and it just went up and up from there 17 18 were great years and then we got up onto smackdown and we had a bit of a laugh on smackdown and then it kind of went all pete dong from there for a while um and then i went back down to nxt for a couple of years but no i had, uh, I had the time of my life and like i was able to share this with my wife who's who's also here and she's on raw mm-hmm. as nikki ash and uh you know i'm very blessed that i managed to have that kind of opportunity and made some great friends and had some fun matches and like i'm gonna have to have to look through like because I, I try to take notes of certain things that i've done um to try and remember like how i felt at these kind of times but uh no I, one of the, the coolest parts of this has been like when when i did get released last year was people sharing like their 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 memories of, of the stuff that I had done and whatever else. And it was really like, it was, it was really nice to know that people enjoyed what I did and, and everything yeah. else. Um, and now that now the, the goal for me is to, to get going all across the world, all over again. And it's been so much fun this last few months. Like I've been literally in and out of Europe a bunch of times and only just recently I've started working over here in America again. And uh, it's been, it's been a bit of a whirlwind and it's only going to get, it's only going to get worse because I'm getting busier and busier as it goes. So it's been a, it's been a crazy few years shall we say just like the united team eh? yes we'll get that it's funny because um <laughs> my son you know he i remember he's a big wrestling fan and um we, there was a, 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 the monday night raw at the anaheim uh in anaheim honda center here and he was torturing me to go <laughs> i was like no 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 and i'll be honest you know i was uh, i was a lot of cynicism you know i all my uh, you know reds all fake i said all right so i get out and i go to First of all, the crowd are fanatic. Secondly, one of the things that grabs me right away 
is the genius of how well these things are done, right? Now, the storylines that are done, the entertainment, you know, the, the athletes, which, you know, are incredibly stuntmen, are incredibly talented, they're unbelievable athletes, they interact with the crowd, fantastic, every night's different, you know, and, and you really get pulled in to everything. It's not just the wrestling match, it's all the things that are going on around you, and you, and you find yourself after 20 minutes going, buck my everything, and you're like, this is just, like, I, I genuinely feel, and I've said this many times, that WWE and the NFL lead the world in sports marketing. I don't think anybody does it better than them, right? Um, and, uh, you know, you see a lot of boxers like Floyd Mayweather and everything coming over to WWE. That's a big, because Tyson Fury and everything coming over, you know, to, to build their profiles. And, you know, you look at you know, Finn Balor and all that, millions of followers, you know, the man, millions of followers. It's a massive, massive, massive sport. And they do an unbelievable job of turning it into an incredibly entertaining event. Like, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, do you have, give me a couple of memories to stand out for you during the WWE time. So when I when I first got there, as I said, like that, getting on to WrestleMania in Orlando, um, six months in. So 2017, I'd literally just got in the door and I was not having the best of times. Mm. And then suddenly I'm I'm on in front of 80,000 people. Uh, I'm sharing a ring with people who I've respected for years. Like it was one of those uh, at Shawn Michaels. Like so, Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels, one of my heroes, and he comes up to me beforehand. He's helping produce the the entire show, and he says, "Listen, try your best to take this in because you know." And uh, I've seen your wrestling. I know. I know how you you do your thing. I know you've been wrestling for a while, and you're going to go into like you know show mode, whatever else. But he said, just try to take it in, and it, I really did try. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's hard because like you you don't want to get swept away. But um, so that was that was one of my first uh, incredible memories. Um, and then like a couple of months later, we did this crazy match called War Games, um, which is like, it's two rings put together with a, a cage that surrounds it. Um, and it was myself, my two tag team partners against two other tag teams. And it was, it was this mental match. And like, I just, I, I was the last person to get in the ring. And, you know, I had this incredible show on, and like, it really helped like um, solidify me as, as, a, as a character in the WWE. And, um, it all went really well, and I was working with some some fantastic talents there. Um, after then, I, I did this ladder match, which is another insane idea. So cage matches and ladder matches, of course. Uh, this ladder match, which um, was five other talents, that was like April 2018. And like it just... <laughs> somehow none of us walked away injured which is the main thing but it got a lot of praise internationally and you know that's kind of one of those ultimate like pats in the arse you know what i mean that mm -hmm. you know you you go in there with a the vision that you think is good and then for people to share that vision is is awesome and, and like you know i know that like um, we get compared a lot to, to actors or stage performers and things like that like but we don't get a second take you know so if yeah. if something goes well then like you know, you know, that's the ultimate, like, thank God, you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, if you think of movie stars, you think everything else, you know, they, they get an opportunity to maybe redo something if it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, for us, if something hurts, you know, that's it. You just have to keep going. Nah, so. It's incredible, man. <laughs> Honestly, like, I watch it from, you know, and I have a tremendous appreciation for the skill that's involved to do what they're doing and uh, for each individual character to have their own identity. And and, and it's just it, brilliant storylines. Uh is there anyone in that, like, we, we, we obviously know all the big names, not there, maybe you don't want to do this, but is there anyone you were looking at where, where like, you, you would say, you know, a douchebag would never talk to an individual again, or, like, uh, not who they appear to be in TV? 
Uh, honestly, like, so it's it's normally the opposite. It's normally the ones who everybody hates are the ones who I ended up getting yeah. on great with. So <laughs> that's like, get it my, that's always easy my way. Um, I, I don't know if that's, uh, well, even, even that's if maybe, it's that more on me? No, no, <laughs> What's even, if, even if I take case, like, you talk, uh, tell me a bit about some of the characters. They all sound people, everyone, or is there anyone you'd say? Honestly, you listen, like, you, you go in and you, you're told, like, so there's there's a guy called uh, Randy Orton, who's um, one yeah. of the main stars here in Dudley. And I, growing up as a, as a wrestling fan, people always said, oh, you know, Randy's a this and that and the other. And, like, he was, like, this incredible, like, locker room leader. He was, if any of us went to him with any advice, he'd be the first to talk to us. He would be such a laugh to, to talk to and everything. So it's like, um, and even guys like Shawn Michaels, I mentioned before, was, like, you know, I didn't expect him to be so wonderful if that makes sense um and it was just a pleasure to learn from him my my ultimate hero in wrestling was was fit finley he came in i i got to work with him he was a producer in uh when i was up in smackdown um and like i wasn't sure what to expect you know what i mean you know northern irish people meeting sure. uh, <laughs> you know you're never quite sure but he, yeah. he was absolutely amazing and um then I, I got to train with him towards the end of my my run at the um he started taking classes and I, I, I didn't have to go in. It wasn't a part of my contract, but I used to go in to see his class because <laughs> I had to go, I had to go and wrestle with him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I, I genuinely, I've, I've only got like great experiences when it comes, especially to the, to the wrestling, to, to the other wrestlers, the, um, the, the coaches and stuff like that. Like um, I remember like up front when I first got there, there was definitely, as I said, there was that negativity towards yeah. um Europeans and um, but I felt that all across the board like I couldn't I and maybe that's a part partially on me I, I don't know but like I, I I couldn't even name names because it's everybody you know what I mean I was every every coach and then suddenly all the coaches start uh you know they start digging what you're doing you know what I mean like um obviously I was lucky that there was a couple of uh, British wrestling coaches like Robbie Brookside and Johnny Moss you know that obviously helped the transition um because the, they un- totally understood like that you know we are very good at this uh, <laughs> um but like then that's the thing i'm sending but six months in like suddenly it all changes and everybody like realizes that you're good they trust you and they, they want your opinion on stuff and suddenly i'm helping train the, the younger kids uh, and i remember when i first got there like i tried to help a kid who uh, literally didn't know how to, to lock up right and i got pulled pulled aside by the head coach said please don't train people and i'm like okay and then like literally a year later he's asking me to go and train people <laughs> why, why didn't that want to train people uh, because they, they didn't they didn't know if if, if i was going to do it the right way or whatever else so oh. it's just like the complete um not sure if, if we're any good, not sure if like we're, we're intentionally trying to like affect somebody. And like, I've been wrestling at that point, 11 or 12 years. So, and I'd been a coach previously to, um, to go into WWE. So I was like, there's a kid who's blatantly struggling. I just want to go and help him. Right. Um, it's just, just, just an automatic thing. Uh, and then like, it's just so funny. The 180 a year later, like they're asking me, right. Can you come in? Can you, can you come in and train me? <laughs> I'm like, okay. But it's yeah. just so funny. But like before that, I was like, you know, told not to like, actually like, Kind of demanded not to, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, it's funny because you look at this wrestling now, and obviously you see a lot of British Irish wrestlers. Um, very popular, Drew McIntyre, of course. Very absolutely popular. big Drew. Yeah, big Rangers fan, of course. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, Finn Balor, of course, and Seamus, who is a big Liverpool fan. So I sincerely hope you. He's only become a bigger Liverpool fan as they started getting good here in the last few years. Shall we just oh, say? Is that yeah. right? 
Uh, he was wearing a he was wearing a Celtic jerseys a bit more before uh, Liverpool started uh, getting back into it. But oh, no, like Seamus she, she, is a good lad. But uh, it was his timing was incredible. Shall we say? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I'm glad to hear that. There, that's because uh, I know he does quite a bit on NBC. Yeah, uh, he seems like a really oh, nice yeah. lad. He seems like a really nice lad. To be fair, uh, yeah, he's a good lad. He's a good uh, lad. But um, North Dub. Yes, uh, I want to ask you, of course, about your love of Manchester United. Uh, obviously, lots of people that we grew up. Uh, have a love of Manchester United. Where did, where did yours come from? So honestly, so my parents, this is crazy. And this this is probably something that uh, Belfast people know years and years and years. But obviously my parents had to leave the country to get educated. Uh, and they went to Manchester, both of them. Um, mm. And they met in Salford. And, you know, we would, obviously they went home, they got jobs, whatever else. And then we would go in and out of Manchester all the time. It just became, you know, a part of our lives. You know what I mean? Um, and I think my dad was devastated when he found out I was a United fan. But like about three, three and a half years old, whatever it was, and like you know, you start getting a, a an idea. You love football and whatever else. But United, I think you know the likes of Mal Donaghy and stuff like that. Right. And then like um, you know, it, it's just, I just think like it was on TV a little bit more. I mean, this is 1988. You know, United are like. You know they're they've been struggling. You know, Fergie's you know having a, a difficult year, whatever else. So they were always on the news and whatever else. Um, a couple of the local lads were like, you'd have Arsenal fans and you'd have whatever else. And uh, myself and my best mate both ended up supporting United, and like that's eighty eight on nineteen eighty eight. So like, and I got my first kit. Then I think I've still got I got a photo of it. I'll have to send mm-hmm. you um, of me and me, me first kit and whatever else. And it's like. I was it, no looking back, and you know it's one of those things. Um, as devastated as my dad was, he didn't fully disparage me, thank God, because um, he preferred he preferred City when he lived in in uh, Manchester because they did more for the at the time they did more for um, uh, young offenders and stuff like that, and, and for you know disadvantaged youths and whatever. So mm-hmm. I think that he was always just a little bit more interested in that. Like whereas United were getting were filling their stadium. You know, so it, it was a, it was a different kettle of fish, you know, um, but like that's so from from about eighty eight, and then like obviously like Fergie becomes my second dad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he was the he was the man in charge for for this yeah. huge chunk of my life. You know what I mean? I'd see him on TV more than I'd, I'd see anybody else. You know, um, and it was just just became an obsession. And like I, uh, I think football. Like I had little like like peaks and troughs with it. Um, like obviously like early 90s like especially when we won like the FA Cup in 94 like for some reason that stood out to me so much because obviously I'm, I'm nine years old or whatever and like you know winning the double was this big deal you know what I mean um, even though we'd you know the year before we'd done blah 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 you know like but mm-hmm. honestly there'd been so much um, and then obviously going in towards the end of the 90s and that how good we were in that whole period and that team you, like you could you could name every single player and like it, it's so funny like that, that run in the 90s and then even into the 2000s, yes, Chelsea came in and Arsenal had the Invincibles and stuff like that. But, you know, United were always kind of the constant, you know. So, like, I think throughout my childhood, my teens, even my young adult life, United have been this major uh, major part of it, you know. Uh, and I played football as well. Like, I wasn't brilliant by any means. Um, I went, I managed to play um I didn't play in goals until I was about 16. Uh, and then I realized, actually, I'm, I'm pretty decent at this, which is uh, no surprise because I like throwing myself around, you know. <laughs> um, and I, I went and played played from a school, played from a uni and stuff like that. Like, But it, it took me a long time to realize, actually, Demo, you're not very good at this outfield yeah. thing. You should maybe try, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but now United have always been this this major concept in my life. And one of the best parts about living in the States, and you know this better than anybody, mm-hmm. we get access to every single game. Um 
Whereas back home, I had, I had Sky, I had BT or Virgin or whatever it was, and you're still only getting access to like 33% of United games. So no, it, was, no. it was bizarre. And you're spending a bloody fortune. Whereas here, I get every every single game. Like I don't I don't miss one. Um, oh, and it's a, it's a lot friendlier for me on the East Coast than it is for you on the West Coast. I you have to get up sometimes. Sometimes I'm going up four in the morning and I went to bed. Uh, but uh, yeah, I want to ask you, because uh, now we know how it feels. To be a Liverpool fan over the last twenty years, there and maybe, My God. maybe even worse because United's wounds are self-inflicted. Uh, you look at Manchester United now. Uh, what do you see? Honestly, I think you just nailed it there about Liverpool because I think I've been kidding myself on for the last few years that it's going to get better. Mm. Even at the start of this season, like I got gassed up thinking, okay, there's Varane, there's mm. there's Ronaldo. We finally got mm. Sancho in the door. and um, We came second last season. Harry, Harry Maguire was in team of the year. Uh, Luke Shaw had a great Euros. Like you're, you just, you're thinking, okay, this is it. We've, we finally nailed it. And then, you know, the realization is, you know, it was, we just weren't that good last year. We just got away with it. Um, we start this year with more expectations on our shoulders and, and the players wilted. Um, so th- the problem is now you, you, you're probably going to have to restart the whole movement all over again because all these leaks in the media, all this um, the heads down as soon as a goal goes in against us. And, you know, they, they if they can't get themselves motivated to face Man City, then like, is it any surprise why they can't get a result at Burnley? You know, any, any surprise why like they're struggling to uh, when they go a goal down, you know, at, at Watford or whatever, you know, like this is the, the crazy thing for me is like, um, it doesn't feel like we're Man United anymore or not, at least not the Man United that I knew. And I need to stop trying to compare them to the teams of the past. You know, this kind of feels like when maybe when I look back in the past, maybe it, it, it does feel like pre Fergie, for example, when you know, they weren't sure what they were, they were, yeah, they were paying big wages and yes, they were making big, big transfers. They were trying to get sexy managers, you know, like big Ron and whatever else. And it didn't work out. And, I think the problem is right now, you know, we're, we're owned by a company that doesn't understand football, that put a banker in charge of, of all football decisions, and then we're surprised that it didn't work. I mean, we have no philosophy. We, If I want to go through every manager we've had since Ferguson, okay, so we brought in Moyes, who's a reactionary manager, which didn't work when you had an agent squad, okay, who knew how to play and knew how they wanted to play. Then you replace him with LVG, who comes in as a possession-based manager, Um which, you know, fair play to work for when, for the Holland team. You know, they did pretty well, whatever else. But, you know, realistically, it, it, it had moved on. I, I went to a Newcastle game. I, I briefly had a season ticket. I went to see a, a Newcastle game where we had no shots on target, but we had like 90% possession. I, I remember, I think I think I was I would have committed Harry Carey there. Actually, that, that, was, that was a tough one, you know. Um, and then, you know, you replace, you know, you replace LVG with Mourinho. Mourinho comes in with, uh, you know... Obviously, the superstar attitude, and he's got like a defensive style. Again, it's another different style. He prefers using mature players. He doesn't really trust youth, which goes against United's policy. Then you replace Mourinho with, and I love Oli as a player, like what he did for us in the European Cup final. You replace him with somebody who doesn't know what he's doing. And he has a group of, of inexperienced coaches with him. And somehow he still manages to do well, you know, fourth, third, second. It was, it was, he did, he did as well as he was going to do. And then eventually I caught up with him, you know, and like the problem is you're trying to go up against Pep and Klopp and you, your, your answer to that is a guy who won the Norwegian Cup. And, and it's like, 
Then you replace him with Ralph Raniak, who's been out of coaching for two years, who's been more into, uh, you know, doing a director of football stuff. He's coming in as an interim. They, they seem to love this interim coach idea. Um, I imagine if it had went well, like it did with Ollie, they would have signed him and given him, a, you know, a three-year deal or whatever else. Um, and it, it's went okay. I mean, he's done as, as well as he can. We were creating all these chances. We just can't put teams away. Um, but the truth is, it just it just matter. It just shows that there's been a different philosophy between every every manager who's come in. Nobody has an idea of what they really want this team to be. They just want to hit fourth, and that's it. That's all. I think that is all the modus operandi is for this team mm-hmm. is to hit fourth. They hit fourth, they get in the Champions League. You know what I mean? That's it. That's all they want from us, and it, it's hard as a fan watching it, because you know how much money's been spent on the team. So you can't bury the Glazers for that. You know how much they're paying the, the, the players, so you can't bury them for that. But you can't bury them for not having, and I hate to say it because it's Simon Jordan keeps saying it on TalkSport, right? Best in class. We, we are, we're not even in the class when it comes to, you know, people in, on top, like when it comes to director of football or, or management or coaching and stuff like that. We're not even in the same class as, as, as City and Liverpool, which kills me because... These were these were people who were so far behind us for so long, but you know our infrastructure hasn't hasn't improved. It's only got worse. And realistically, you know, we, we talked a little bit off air, you know, about you know some of the reasons why why that's been happening. And I, I can't see it getting any better any better anytime soon. And this is the thing for all United fans: we're going to have to buckle in for a while because this is going to be a really tough couple of decades. I think it probably will get worse. Here's the thing, Daniel, for me. When we talk about how the football club is run, if your boss is telling you, if you do this, you're going to get sacked, but if you do this, you're going to get rewarded. And doing this is you bring me financial returns. You bring me financial success. I don't care about the infrastructure because my value, our value in Manchester United is the name. It's the brand. I don't care if they play in the park. People still want to buy Manchester United. So I don't not going to invest in stadium, right? And if you incentivize your employees to give you certain types of returns, which you value, which may not be commensurate with what the fans value, you and I value sport and success. We don't follow Manchester United because we care about what's on a balance sheet. The Glazers own Manchester United because they care about what's on a balance sheet, right? The level of expertise that's required to compete with Liverpool and City, United don't have it, right? And they don't have it above Pochettino or Ten Hag or whatever, right? And the problem is these people run the football club for their own personal interests, right? For self-enrichment. And as long as they can do that, uh, they will do that. And the problem is with uh, United is that it's not a football club the, where football, winning football matches is the most important thing, right? So you can't compete with the Liverpool and a Man City this way, right? They're so good, you're not going to get away with it. And you talk about people with different styles, management styles, and none of them work for the same reason, right? Because it's a bit like a babysitter being brought into a house and the parents don't enforce any discipline. The babysitter has no chance, right? So if a parent's turning around and saying to their kids, you can take drugs, stay up as long as you want, and watch TV, and do whatever you want, the probability the babysitter is going to come in and go, no, 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 you're not doing it. Listen, you're leaving in a couple of hours. Yeah, I don't yeah, care yeah. what you say, because the people above you 
are not going to do anything about it. It is impossible. So this is why I think even if Guardiola or whoever was there, they'd fail, right? Because they don't ultimately have control over what happens. They're essentially coaches, right? Well, Jose, Jose put it really smart, right? Because like, you know, for all his failings, Jose said, listen, Pep Guardiola can buy a player and if it doesn't work out, he can ship him out and yeah. get another one. Mm-hmm. Now that that is the type of thing that Jose would have wanted if he was if he was to stay at United, right? He he said, "Listen, we need better defenders, right?" They gave him Bay and they gave him Lindelof, right? And they didn't they weren't really working. You know what I mean? Like you know, yes, there was good games and and you know, Lindelof had a good eighteen months at one point, right? But realistically, like he didn't have the maybe the wherewithal to to be a, a top level defender under Jose. So Jose was like, "I need another defender." They wouldn't give him one. So they kind of they brought in a manager who isn't willing to give players time, um, and then are surprised when he wants to not give the players time. And like that, that for me, you know, when you get Pep Guardiola, you know that if a player doesn't work for him, he wants rid of them. Like Angelino is one of them. Is this great left back didn't work for him, got rid of him. You know what I mean? Like there's so many examples of this with Pep Guardiola. You know what I mean? And that's fine because that's what you know you're getting from Pep. He wants a specific style, so you have to continually replace the players. Our problem is we got to the point where our 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 management team, like sorry, our 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 board and stuff, it liked a player more than they liked the manager. Which, like in case of Martial, I think it was, you know, Mourinho wanted rid of him. Um, which looking looking back now, it maybe would have been a good idea, for example. Um, but you know. Whereas the, the Glazers saw marketability in him and they wanted to keep him. You know Mourinho what I mean? That, that gave that statement, by the way. It was Mourinho that leaked that statement to the press about... Of course. Glazers, ...like in Martial. Uh, but he, but He's all, and he was right. But what you've got with Mourinho is you've got a guy asking for players to win the league and he's asking people who only want to finish top four. Right? So there's a disconnect there. So they'll give you a wee bit, right? And then yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. they're going to be like, you got enough to finish top four. We're going to give you the illusion that we want to win the league. And if you can win the league while we're, finished, while we're in for top four, great. But if not, don't worry about it. You'll be okay. Right? So the thing is, uh, if you look at Mourinho and Solskjaer, they were both sacked this season not to finish second, right? Yeah. Um, and, so, and in exactly the same way with the dressing room and other chaos, right? Because there's enablers above them that's allowing this to happen. Because at the end of the day, they will there's a very, very simple uh, 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 algorithm Manchester United, or a very simple If you go to them and they say, I want to get rid of this player, okay, how much does he work to us commercially? Uh, he's worth a lot. Okay, he stays. Okay, well, you get rid of someone else. You get rid of someone else. You get rid of someone else, right? And, and you just, you can't run a football club and be successful that way. Listen, uh, the interview I did before this, I did it with an, a journalist who was in the room when Richard Arnold said this. We have 26 George Clooney's. Now that tells you everything about what Manchester United are and what they see. These are not players. These are brands that they make money off. And you cannot get a winning culture where everyone's working towards a common goal, sacrificing personal interest to be a team in an environment that champions the individual above all else. Possible. So anyway, um, but I just feel because, so so what's it going to take? It's going to take the Glazers to wake up and say, I care about sport and success for the commercial. <laughs> yeah, not um. So you'll get a lot of fluff. You'll get a lot of people say, what about, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to farm forms, we're going to talk to the fans. The Glazers were doorstep a year ago and 
You're part of the world in Florida. They couldn't even bring themselves to appear to be human by issuing some bullshit statement. They've been in sports 20 years. All they had to do was turn around and say something like, you know what, we understand fans are upset. We, we, we appreciate that. We're going to we're going to comment through the appropriate channels. You know, you know, we're prepared for some sort of response to that. We apologize. So I just say it was not a nothing statement. They couldn't even bring themselves to say something to people who bought the football club for them. So the probability that they're going to all of a sudden care about what you and I did, this has always been the problem, Dean. Well, they've never cared about what you and I care about. They aren't fans, right? These, and and listen, I say this on the podcast, I live amongst people who are business people. They don't value human things. They don't value people. They value property. And everything is reducible to profit. If you do something that doesn't have a profit angle, they look at you like you're weird. For example, I've been asked by people, why do you do it? Oh, how much do you get for your podcast? Well, I don't monetize it. Well, why do you do it then? It's weird. What, what do you mean? Why do you do it? What, 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 what's the point? Why, why do you waste your time? We you do it for nothing? Why, what? Because some, how much are your kids worth? How much would you sell your kids? Don't know. Well, some things worth more than money, right? There's some things where there's spiritual nourishment, there's emotional nourishment that you get from things. Everything's reducible to money. This is a personality truth. This is the way these people think. Everything is about, if it makes dollars and cents, it makes sense, right? Everything comes down to how much is that worth? How much, is you just won a European Cup? Forget about what I want. How much is it worth to me? That's the only answer that matters. So if you say, go spend 200 million to win a European Cup, well, I get over 20 million revenue for winning the European Cup. No, I'm not doing it. This is what happens. Hey. Listen, that's why the European Super League, everybody thinks oh, that shit's course, gone. Man. It is not gone. It is coming back. It's going to come back very soon. Well, and it's going to happen. You know what I mean? What the European Super League was, was a glimpse as to what European sports is going to look like. There's a competition between two types of ideologies. Between promotion and relegation and between closed competition. Closed competition takes away risk. Okay, Those winning the argument are those with the most money, right? And that with the most money is the closed system. So the meritocracy of European sports, or Star Booker S and IX when European Cups are over, right? And by the way, you can't just blame the Americans because the Europeans jumped in both feet with this ideology and we're happy to embrace it and bring it to Europe, right? Because Europeans, just like North Americans, are screedy too. I have no problem. You ask, ask course, them, you want to take risk and give a plan of work? Sure, we'll take it. Because they're banking on you and me Continuing to pay no matter what is put in front of us. Let's be honest about this. Manchester United don't exist anymore. Right? All that exists is the badge. But any resemblance to the football club that you and I supported and fell in love with is gone. Football in general is gone. Manchester City died when UAE bought them. That's not Manchester City, right? Take a look at Chelsea. Let's see what happens with Chelsea when you have to put the cloth accordingly. Right? There'll be no more Ramalu Lukaku's and Kai Havertz, right? That's gone. That's not Chelsea. Now we're about to see what Chelsea are, right? So anyway, but uh, but uh, what do you think uh, between Tan Hag, Pochettino? Do you think any of them can come in and affect major change? So the more I think about the, the way the squad is, right? Say right, we're not going to be able to get rid of everybody, right? And, and I get that. Um, I think we made an incredible decision not to go for Conte when he was available. And I don't think Conte is the saviour, by the way. I'm not, not I'm just saying a lot of our players are set up to probably play in a back three. Um, I think a lot of our players will probably benefit in that scenario because 
you know, the likes of Maguire, Shaw, Dalo on the right, um, Lindelof, example. Like, there's a lot of players there who could probably benefit from playing in a back three, for example. Um, it might hide the, the deficiency we have in midfield, for example. It would mean not necessarily having wingers, but we haven't we don't we haven't had somebody be able to play the right wing for what a decade. Um, you know what I mean? So I don't know if that's we buy Sancho for the right wing and never once played him there. So I mean, like that's that's obvious that that's not going to happen. Um, and obviously with Mason Greenwood, who knows what's ever going to happen with him? So you've got nobody now who can play on the right hand side. So my my thing is right. Maybe is this team better set up to play as, as a back three, back five, right? Um, but then that, that's something that neither neither Pochettino or, or Ten Hag really do. So they're going to come in with def- obvious deficiencies. Um, and I, 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 I know that a lot of fans really like to dig out Fred, for example, and they like to dig out McTominay. And I, I get it because like the, the, they are uh, inconsistent. They do sometimes underperform. Um, but those two lads would be the perfect squad players. For, for, for any half decent team so you're going to have if you want to be a winner you have to replace both of them so you know when you say about Ten Hag or, or Pochettino I think Pochettino would probably have been okay following Solskjaer um, because he likes a similar style of play you know with, with you know generally wing back heavy I think that would suit Luke Shaw but you know I also thought Luke Shaw was brilliant last year and, and he's really struggled this year. So it's very difficult to really believe, you know, and then you look at our right side, Wan-Bissaka, we heard this whole spiel that they, they were scouting 500 people. They got it down to 50 and then they decided that Wan-Bissaka was the number one right back choice. And we spent 50 million on the fella and, and he has turned out to be laughable, actually. Um, and I think back to the... upside down. Uh, it's amazing. Like I'm, I'm doing my best to figure out. Like this is a guy who played as a winger and then went back into uh, right back, and then to find out that he can't cross, he can't pass, that he can't carry the ball anymore, and now he can't even do the thing that he was meant to be good at, which is the one-on-one defending. It's like I, I've heard terrible things about him outside the pitch and stuff like that, and you, you're just trying to think. You're hoping that he can he can get his life together and and figure it out, and you're you're just hoping. Um, that we'll wake up and go, okay, this fella, maybe maybe we need to move him on, you know, but then you've spent 50 million on him. You're not going to recoup that. You'll be lucky to get 20. You know, I don't know who's going to buy him. Um, and that that's, that. I feel like that is our problem all across the pitch. Like, you know, you're hearing all this stuff about Marcus Rashford and you're like, well, who the hell's going to buy Marcus Rashford in the current form? You know what I mean? Like, and, and how much money you know, or could you recoup for a Marcus Rashford? Now, I don't want Marcus Rashford to leave. I want Marcus mm-hmm. Rashford to get his finger out and start being the boy who, who we all fell in love with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but realistically, you know, I'm looking at that team and like, I'm thinking it doesn't matter what manager you bring in. I don't think it's going to make a difference anymore. I, I thought for a while Conte could be an answer. I don't think he's the answer. I think he's he's a he's a bandaid, as they say here in the states. I don't. I, I think I don't think for any moment that uh, he could be here for longer than two or three seasons. It's just another Jose, whatever else. But if you want immediate success, you want to hit top four. He's probably your guy to do it, right? But if you want long term. And and like Ten Hag, I like what he's done with Ajax. You know, he's turned Sebastian Halle into like a, a incredible forward, great target mm-hmm. man. He scored like thirty one goals over thirty two games or something. It's crazy. Which this is a fella who pff, was was awful at, at West Ham. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but then I, I just don't know how we've got too many questions about about the team. I mean, like you know, you need somebody who who can utilize the fact you've got Cristiano Ronaldo up front, you know what I mean? Like an aging Cristiano Ronaldo, or do you let him go and then try to rebuild? So honestly, like I'm, this is the most 
uh, disappointed and the most frustrated I think I've been with United. And and we've had bad years. Of course, we've had bad years. But I can't see like this is the bleakest future I think. Um, and for me, this is the least amount of players I think I've I've believed in. You know, and that's and I think of you know you know all the time you know the thirty four years I've been a fan of Man United, mm. and this is the one. This is the probably the worst group of players insofar as I, I don't trust the defense. I don't, I don't trust the midfield. I don't trust the attack. You know, the fact that we're getting gassed up about a Langa um, shows us that there's definitely a problem here that we're hoping that a 19 year old kid can, you know, can carry us through a game. And um, we were hoping that Greenwood could do that at the start of the season. We we're hoping that, um, you know, you're hoping that, you know, McFred can be a, you know, a decent combination. Yes. Fred's played better under Rannick, for example, but you know you're you're wondering like long term, like how many of these guys should stay, you know, and what what manager can come in and get a tune out of them? Because like I, the worrying part for me overall, this I've been ranting here, sorry, uh, this is like therapy for me. Um, so the the worrying the worrying part for me overall, this is I, I don't think a manager comes in. I, like I just can't well, see this current group being able being a success. You know, I hate to use this analogy again, but seeing when I think oh, it's not very bright, <laughs> but uh, it just it, it to me we're arguing about the quality of babysitter when we're talking about can a babysitter come in here and bring discipline and structure to a bunch of unruly kids, you know, that may have talent, right? That may be gifted, maybe they're very good, but oh, I just no drive. Yes, but well, what's happening is. The people above them are enabling the worst and most toxic behavior um, because it's in their interest to do so because they don't want they don't they lack the ability or don't have the desire to structure these people in a way that gets them you know to to have a, a, an organization or, a, or an environment that gets the best out of them and inevitably yeah. they leave and go somewhere else and um, you know we had. Solskjaer coming in, being the nice guy, the nice armor on a shoulder type guy, which worked for a while. It did because it was a complete contrast from what we had with Mourinho. And then eventually the same thing comes back. And so I honestly feel that this is the equivalent of arguing about the quality of babysitters when we've got two toxic drug addict parents that are completely <laughs> absent and, and, and they're telling their kids, do whatever you want. And then eventually if the babysitter comes down too hard, they get rid of the babysitter. And well, our hope, our hope right now, exactly. Our hope right now is that Arnold is going to be better than Woodward, even though he's just as inexperienced and he's only been learning under Woodward. We're going to hope that he's going to be better. Brilliant! That that that's an amazing thought process. Um, the the idea that Rannick's going to come in and be a consultant is, and this is the thing that I, like I was, I was explaining this to one of my mates the other day. Right, we have so many cooks above the manager right now, like. What the fuck is Darren Fletcher meant to be doing? I don't know, right? Then you've got so you got Darren Fletcher, you got Arnold, you got all these people like that. Like there's a huge murder. Like I'm missing, I've missed names here. Like that, that's and then you've got you're going to have Rannick step in as a consultant. It's going to be there's going to be like a a little boardroom, and that's not even the board members. This is a, like a board members just above the the manager and like how. And these people obviously have relationships with the players. Like Darren Fletcher's going in at half coach and half in charge. Uh, he's meant to be like um, like the the levy between the youth team and, and the first team. And I'm like, what the what the fuck is he talking about? Like he didn't work with the youth team before. Like uh, so, uh, honestly, like I'm I'm uh, there's a lot going wrong at this club, and I think a lot of people are getting paid somehow um, for mediocrity. Yeah. Um, 
Especially well, like above the team. But I, if we, we're going to finish in sixth or seventh this year, right? That's I'm putting all my cards on the table. We might even finish outside the European places, right? Um, and there's going to be a wake-up sure call somewhere. Thing, by the way, right? Because that Europa League's harder to get out of than it is to get in. Um, yeah, what, but look, when you, you're talking about these things and uh, about two consultant, my three-year-old's a consultant in my house. Doesn't mean how it is now, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, it's the most impotent title you consult. You so what the fuck does that even mean? Uh, so we're going to pay another right? guy to have an opinion. It's amazing. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, uh, what, that won't be listened to. Yeah, his opinion won't be listened to either. You know what I mean? Ralph, we need a striker. Go get the uh, Holland. Right, mate. Thanks, bang. There's a 50 grand for your console. What Good work. is this? Hey, oh. We're going to go out and get somebody like Ranyak. Well, why don't you just give Ranyak the job then? You know, you have someone that's more like himself. I mean, honestly, this is what I'm saying, right? I mean, so we're talking about a, an exhaustive process. Well, Wambasaka was an exhaustive process. Right? Jesus Christ. Yeah, and the we're the ones who's exhausted watching him. Yeah, you know what I mean? I mean honestly, and um, so they've run the club like Brewster's millions, you know, let's, and, and it, it is unbelievable inaptitude to be sitting here after nine years spending, like Barcelona have an excuse for being a master. Right? They, they overspent or they're bankrupt. They've got no money. Right? Manchester United have no excuse for you know, we're sitting here nine years. You know, give us time, give me a chance. You've been here nine years, you've got one decision right in nine years, not one, right? I mean, tell me there's not 50,000 people at Old Trafford every week that come in and do a better job than that, right? Anyway, but we could bang on about this all day. Um, I'd love to get you back, big man. Uh, because there's so much I love to talk about. Um, it's been an absolute privilege. I want to dedicate this podcast to West Wellbeing. Of course, it's a mental health charity that uh, myself, Michael Conlon, our ambassadors of, um, are involved in, and uh, Big Demo, who, of course, is from his community as well. Uh, folks, big, big charity for mental health. Um, we will have merchandise available in the next week or two where it's 100% of the proceeds go towards this charity. So I want to dedicate them to those lads and lasses who are doing so much important work. Big man, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've wanted to do this for a long time. Uh, <laughs> go ahead and give Big Demo a follow. I'll put his, I'll tweet out his, his, his uh, Twitter ID here. At, uh, we will suffer this together. All the best, mate. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll hopefully be back under maybe better circumstances one day. <laughs> I hope so, big man. Take it easy, Demo. See you, mate. Bye. Thank you.